Amen. So we're looking at this issue today in Kingdom Living in our series of reconcilable differences. And when you hear that phrase, immediately you're probably thinking, does he mean irreconcilable differences? Because we live in a world right now that if you especially pay attention to Hollywood marriages that don't make it, what do they always say? It was irreconcilable differences. And, and yet there's a God that says, listen, in life, there is an ability that he has to reconcile differences. We're going to look at that in the scriptures today in how Jesus taught it and shared it. And I want to make sure we understand, because we're going to look at the issue of, of marriage and, and divorce. We're going to look at the issue of our words and vows that we make. And then we're going to look at the gospel response to that. As we do that, we live in a day and age where I want to make sure we're clear. Like, I, I'm of that generation, Gen X, that grew up with the over 50%. Yeah, any Gen Xers in the house? All right, got a few. Some of you are like, me? Yes, you we're the silent generation no one talks about right now, but we exist, right? And uh, the truth is, we grew up under the 50% uh, or higher marriage divorce rate. What does that mean? It, it means that many of us have been impacted by divorce. We've been impacted by how things break down. Some of us, in fact, have been through divorces. We have many uh, people within our church that are on a second marriage, even uh, beyond that in some cases. And here's what I would say to you. This message is not to guilt or shame anybody of the past. Can I get an amen? amen. It's to say, here's God's design, and here's what it looks like to live for him as we move forward together. Amen? So with that said, let me just share with you something that I think is really good news. Jesus saves us from bad religion and bad relationships. That is such good news, isn't it? That, that Jesus steps into bad religion and says, I want to save you from that. I want to rescue from you from that. He steps into bad relationships and say, I, I have a better way. I want to save you from that. I want to rescue from that. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we're thinking like, praise God, I am so ready to get rid of them. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to rescue you from yourself and how you view them to save that relationship. So let me be clear. As we look at what Jesus says, he absolutely rescues us from bad rel religion and relationships. And we're going to see how that plays out in today's text in the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 31 to 37 is where we are going to be spending our time today. It says uh, in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of you have tried, right? That dye wears off, y'all. I got a bunch of gray hair coming in. I can't change that. Permanently, anyway, I can't. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Don't you wish Jesus would just make it plain? 
I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being facetious. He does. He makes it so plain. So we need to, to unpack this and understand it. And I want to share with you some statistics around this issue of, of marriage and divorce. There's a phrase right now that's been emerging in our culture, a starter marriage. Uh, if you haven't heard this, it's out there. It's this idea that this is my starter marriage. I'll get to the, the next one at some point. And this is so sad to think about, but, but it also needs to be set within context because statistically, divorce in America, the rate's actually going down right now. Uh, in fact, uh, it's 40 to 50% right now, which means that more marriages make it than don't. Uh, that's good news. Believe it or not, during COVID, uh, which uh, for Florida, that like, that existed, but not really in how we lived. Can I get, <laughs> I kind of liked it. Uh, and, and yet we dealt with health issues and these things, but we just approached it differently. Well, the rest of the country uh, in many ways was on shutdown. So it forced couples together. Do you know that actually during COVID, the divorce rate went down? It's kind of interesting when we have time to work on things, what can happen, right? Uh, here's an interesting one. 60 to 70% of second marriages end in divorce. Multiple marriages aren't always the answer. Actually, the rate goes up uh, as the divorce or the divorce rate climbs in that second marriage. The overall rate, as I said, of divorces in America is falling. There's actually a new rise, though, 50 and up. It's a phenomenon known as graying divorce. Uh, if you look it up, it's because the divorce rate 50 and up is actually going up right now. It's the one demographic that it's rising. Uh, fewer couples today choose to marry than pre-90. That's the bad news. That's partly why the divorce rate's going down, uh, is statistically there's less people getting married. Uh, our divorce rate as a country is third highest in the world. Uh, there are around 630 divorces in 2020. And uh, this is an interesting fact. Most uh, divorces, the highest season for divorce is January to March. Aren't you glad we're talking about it now? Right? Let's get ahead of it. Let's, let's believe God could do something. Amen? So let me ask you this question if you're taking notes. Is your view of divorce biblical or worldly? Is it biblical or worldly? Because we're surrounded by all these worldly culture views and statistics and things, but we need to look at what Jesus taught about this. And in, in this passage that I read to you, he's talking about, you heard that it was said. That's because in Deuteronomy 24, there was actually a marriage certificate allowed for. Moses was the one that made room for that. And he did that, uh, we'll learn, because of the hard hearts of the people. Now, what was interesting, again, bad religion, was in Jesus' day, uh, there were two schools, rabbinical schools that were around. One was uh, the Shammai and the other was the Hillel. Uh, the Shammai actually had more of a conservative view. So they would look at Deuteronomy 24 when it said indecency in, in anything or all things, and they would focus on indecency. So they actually believed that divorce was only uh, acceptable, if you will, if there was sexual immorality or indecency. Uh, that would be in alignment with what Jesus had just said. Uh, there was this other school, though, Halil, that actually had begun uh, to, to really create enough room that in focusing in, in anything or all things, they actually were creating space where the, the first century historian Josephus writes about this idea that you could divorce your wife over burnt toast. Like, I'm not joking. That's bad religion. Could, can you see it? 
That, that actually, and, and here's the thing, this is why they're coming to him, is they're saying, hey, which differences allow us to do this? Can we serve a God who is able to reconcile all things and all differences? So, so let's look at some of the things Jesus taught. We'll look at a couple passages uh, within the New Testament. Um, but if you're un- wanting to really understand this and, and you're taking notes, the first thing we have to understand is God is faithful and calls us to be faithful. That actually God is faithful. When we're not, he is. He always is. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he calls us to be a people that are faithful whatever we're called to, whether it's singleness or in marriage. And and so what I've realized is we live in a day and age where the things going on can, can actually, as I was praying over this, I'm like, that's it. Many of us are, are so offended that we've taken that offense and started to look over the fence for grass greener somewhere else. Instead of working through the offenses, we're looking over the fence. Do you catch that? And I want to just make sure this is clear, like when you look over that fence and you see grass that looks greener, it's still grass. It still needs work. It still needs fertilizing. It still needs mowing. It still has weeds. It still has all the things. Don't get caught up in believing that it's going to be better. Work through what you have in front of you. Listen to the way Jesus said it again uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 2. Through 12, he says this. Would help if I went to my Bible. Verse 2. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man, this is again Deuteronomy 24, to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, I love this, Jesus doesn't get into the burnt toast conversation. He doesn't get into the little things, he takes it back to God's design and what it's all about. And many of us need to be taken back to this place right now. He says, God made them male and female. This is actually, he's going to quote from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. If you're taking notes here, not only is God faithful and calls us to be faithful, but God creates a covenant people that represent covenant to our world. That hyphen is there on purpose. You and I need covenant represented to us so we can go represent it. So we can go represent it to the world around us. And that's what Jesus does. He takes them back to Genesis 1 and 2 and says, I'm a covenant God. I create a covenant between you and, and, and me. And then that covenant, when you're married, is to be extended. Covenant was a big deal that we kind of can lose sight of in this modern day and age. In the Old Testament, uh, it was actually in the context of worship and often there would be animal sacrifice and blood and that blood would seal the covenant. This was more than just a contract. This was a 
deep binding relationship that brought us into oneness with God, but also in marriage and oneness with another. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in why we lose this in the modern day, uh, my wife is sitting here. Our wedding did not include blood, right? We didn't have sacrifices as a part of the covenant, but you know what we did have? We actually had communion because Jesus institutes a new covenant and his blood is that which binds us to him and binds us to each other. It's the new covenant. Well, you and I, as Christ followers, are to be representing covenant to the world around us. That's why the world's so confused and sometimes we can get caught up in it is forgetting who we are and what God has called us to. Now, when we think about covenant, I just wanna put this in there. If you're dealing with uh, somebody who has uh, failed and, and, and can God redeem, can God reconcile, can God restore? Absolutely. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet, Hosea, and it, it, you could write this down. It's a short chapter, chapter three, but I'll just translate very, uh, you know, kind of paraphrase it for you. Hosea's wife cheats, becomes a prostitute, and God comes to him and says, hey, um, we're going to reconcile this difference. You're going to take her back. You're, you're going to show what God can do in redeeming and reconciling and restoring a marriage because that's what I'm about to do in the nation of Israel and in my church. It's in Hosea 3. So God is able. God sometimes will call us to those places and to represent who he is and his covenant. Now, with this comes the last piece of this. Biblical marriage responsibilities are meant to lead us toward holiness. That actually, when we look at the Bible within covenant, there's responsibilities given that are meant to lead us towards holiness. The world teaches us that marriage is actually about our self-satisfaction, our self-fulfillment, and our happiness. And that's actually not biblical at all. That actually marriage, Jesus is the one who satisfies us. Jesus is the one who fills us. Jesus is the one that then says, your marriage, you're meant to complement each other. You're meant to love one another. You're meant to serve one another. You're meant to function within the way I've created marriage. And as you do that, that's going to lead towards your holiness, not necessarily your happiness. Come on, married people, where are you at? Some of us are so caught up in happiness that we're advocating responsibilities that would actually lead us towards holiness. And I believe that that has to be called out as well. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. You know, Cindy would tell you like, sometimes I'm a pain in the rear, <laughs> but, and, and yet that actually, I would guess, leads both of us closer to Jesus, leads her closer to holiness because she has to figure out how to love me even when I'm not real lovable. Anybody? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 7. There's many places I could go, but this is one that talks about responsibilities and talks about holiness. And it does it in a way that I think calls us in any season because that's the other thing. Not all, all of us are married, some are single, God is preparing you maybe for the gift of marriage. Others of you, he's going to say, no, I've given you the gift of singleness, which is a kingdom gift. Uh, let me read to you in 1 Corinthians 7 and let it speak. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, is it good 
for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Do not elbow or side-eye your spouse right now. Okay, I'm trying to save you a reconcilable difference before you even get there, right? We don't want fights at lunch. But listen. It says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So let me translate this for the men in the room. Um, it's not just about physical intimacy, it's about spiritual. Did you catch it? There's seasons where we pray with, together with our wives and agree on that. It's both, physical and spiritual. Now, as it goes on, it says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, I not but the Lord, and here he gets into some more of the responsibilities. He says in verse 11, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases... The brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or do you, how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So he's getting at there's these biblical marriage responsibilities that when we're fulfilling them are leading us towards holiness. And that holiness is ultimately the goal, that we would be more like Jesus. And in the context of marriage, that's not an easy thing. But it's something that is reconcilable because of who God is and what he can do. Now, I'm going to take a moment and just pray over this. And then I'm going to go into the next part about our words, our vows, and the things we say. Because sometimes those are the very things that are causing damage to the relationship. But all of us couldn't relate to our words. But I just want to take a moment and pray over this, this particular piece uh, and again, is your view of divorce and marriage biblical or worldly? Let's make it more and more biblical, amen? So Father, while this isn't easy, we thank you that Jesus, what you taught on is what we need to teach on. And I thank you for your word. I pray for those in singleness to be able to experience your blessing and gift in that. God, for those preparing for marriage, God, uh, may they see it through your eyes to represent covenant. For those that are married, whether it's a first or a second, Lord, it, it really is about representing covenant, taking on the responsibilities that you've given us with your help so that we can grow in holiness and show the world what marriage was supposed to be like. I pray, Lord, that there would be reconciled, re reconciled differences in the season ahead. 
that you would do a powerful work to save, to rescue, to lead us closer to you and your design. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. So the the second part that Jesus dealt with, if you're taking notes, is is your view of your words biblical or worldly? And I want to read to you again what he said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord whatever you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, we live in a day and age where we say a lot of things and do a lot of things that are different than what we've said. Have you noticed this? Like, we'll say one thing and do another. We see, a, we see it all around us, and it's hard to know what can you trust and, and what, in fact, is trustworthy. And I just want to remind you that God is trustworthy, that, in fact, he calls us to be trustworthy. So just as God is faithful and calls us to be faithful, he is trustworthy and calls us to be trustworthy. And as I said earlier, Jesus saves us and rescues us from bad religion and bad relationships. And and when we get into this, you might go, well, what was going on in that day and age with religion that was bad? Well, the religious leaders had actually begun to swear and, and, and say, hey, we're gonna vow this and we're gonna do it in a way that creates a loophole so it's not on God. Now, that phrase, on God, is a next gen phrase right now. Many in the next gen will not say, I swear by the Bible, or I swear by you know, my, my mother or father. They'll say, on God, which is supposed to somehow legitimize what they're saying is trustworthy. We still do this today, y'all. But then, the religious leaders were literally trying to avoid the phrase, God, so they would swear on the mountain, or by Jerusalem, or by this, or by that thinking that as long as they didn't say God as a religious leader, they weren't bound to their word. It didn't matter if they kept it. You ever look for a loophole with what you're trying to say? Let me just be really straight up with you. Some of you need to quit talking. Like, if you can't say something trustworthy, your yes be yes and your no be no, then you, you probably just need to take a break. Listen a little bit more because part of what happens is we, we get into this place where our integrity We aren't saying and doing, and so as a result, it breaks down the trust of others around us. Our intent can be right, but our actions might not be. So maybe we need to say less for a season. Now, when we think about this in the context of the church, there's a lot that that we need to represent in the world and, and to do differently. God is trustworthy and calls us to be trustworthy. And I just, I want to share with you a quote by John Piper, because for some of us, that's a big moment. You're like, I don't know if I trust God. And I love what John Piper says. He says, keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. It's this reminder that God is so trustworthy that his prevenient, sovereign grace pursues you and I and is always making us his spirit. It says scripture talks about that, that it's actually his work in us that calls us forward. 
that we can trust him. And that's a big deal to be able to say, you know what, I don't know that I trust God right now, so God help me to trust you. Because when you begin to really trust God who will never let you down, it begins to allow you to tr be a person that is trustworthy with those around you. And, and that's vital in relationships, it's vital in the church. You see, God calls us to be a truth and love people that help each other grow. If you're taking notes, God calls us to be a truth and love people that help each other grow. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Can you say that phrase, truth in love? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when we're each doing our part, when we're each fulfilling our responsibilities, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You and I are called to be a truth and love people that are speaking the truth and calling out the truth. Dr. Glenn Stassen says it this way, part of kingdom living is a commitment to truth itself. Once the false apprehension of reality itself has been shed, there is no point in dabbling in falsehood in any arena of life. Discipleship involves stripping away all falseness instead living in the truth. Isn't that good news? In a world filled with falsehood, God, Jesus calls us out to live as a people of the truth. And within that, there's responsibilities. There's responsibilities that God gives us. And, and I, this, this part of the message really isn't for the visitor per se, because I need to talk to our church for a second. If you're a visitor, I want you to hear it. I'd love for you to be a part of what God's doing here. But I'm gonna tell you, church, if you, this is where you come regularly, we can keep growing, and we are by God's grace. We might have to someday add a service, add seats. But do you know what happens when that occurs and we're not a truth and love people? More mo people, more problems. Right? And, and if we're not living as a people that believes differences can be reconciled and we're to live in the truth, and we're not calling truth forward, it actually leads to more dysfunction. Some of you that are visitors, you may be here because you're looking for a healthy church. I'm gonna tell you, if we don't talk about this stuff, we'll never be that. But if we talk about this and we live it, we'll get healthy and all of us have a part to play. We all have a part to play in that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. He says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now I wanna pause there. We have got to be careful not to weaponize this verse. It doesn't say if you disagree with them, if it doesn't say you don't like the way they do something, if it, it doesn't say, you know, my opinion, it says if they've sinned against you. This is what it means to be a truth and love person, right? Is to, to go and to address it. So it says in verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you 
that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That would mean like church leadership and whatever leadership chooses to do with it by God's grace. He says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or Uh, Two of you agree on earth about anything they ask. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is what God calls us to. If you're taking notes, biblical church responsibilities lead us toward holiness. Just like there's responsibilities in the marriage that lead us towards holiness, there are biblical church responsibilities that lead us toward holiness. And one of those is being willing to Speak the truth in love and to address sin when it's affecting us. I just want to let you know, like, there are situations that spiral out of control that I believe did not need to if people would have addressed it early on like the Bible says. Some of us would rather put our head in the sand or just lay on the sand. And I'm telling you, church, we got to get up off the beach. We've got to realize that we have a beautiful community. It's amazing. It's a beachhead, though, with what the Lord wants to do in the kingdom, and he calls us to get up off of the sand, get out of the sand, and to live biblically and to address things. That means you might have to have a conversation with somebody that you don't want to have, but if you don't, it's going to spiral it to the point that somebody will, and a lot of people get hurt in that gap in between. Come on, church. So my heart, and I believe God's heart, is for health and holiness, This is a part of it. Now, what's our response? What's our response to these two issues? It's to believe that the gospel actually can reconcile any difference. If you're taking notes, the last piece I want to show you is your view of reconcilable differences, biblical or worldly. I'm going to read to you just the last text for today out of 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, we are shown who God is and what the gospel can do and what it's meant to do in and through our lives. And this is the good news part, right? Like this is not, I'm not up here saying this is an easy teaching or message, right? I've asked you before, pray for me on these Sundays. Like this is not easy. Hello? Y'all just leave me hanging up here. You're like, yeah, put a a quarter in, he'll keep going. (laughs) No, y'all, like, Pray for me, because I'm in this with you. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Back to the word. Uh, Verse 13, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. uh, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I'm going to just pause there. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. That he came, died, rose again, offers you and I life, a life that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. So differences we're presented with on earth take on a different view take on a different look because we see it through a gospel lens. 
We see what our God is able to do. Let me show you verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Another translation says we no longer view them through our earthly eyes. It says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I want to just tell you, part of our response to reconcilable differences is this part of the gospel, this reality that not only does Jesus invite us to a relationship with him, but he invites us to see the world now through his eyes, to love like he loves, to live like he lives, to interact with others like he does. And it says that our past has been paid for, right? The old is gone, the new has come. That's the baptism uh, reality, right? When we baptize folks, under the water, dead to self, uh, up out of the water, alive to Christ. So as you look at your life, you may be sitting there going, well, I've done some things. I've been through some things. Maybe you've been through a, a marriage and divorce. Maybe you've been through a season where you realize, like, I'm just dishonest. Like, I'd say one thing and do another. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus reconciles all that. And he does it in a way that he says, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to make you a new creation and, and those around you. And, and part of it is even realizing that we have to view those around us through new eyes, Jesus kind of eyes. Because when we speak the truth in love and when we address things, we're not doing it to tear somebody down or to prove that we're right. We're doing it to make things right with Jesus' help. The goal is to love and build up. So this is good news because the foot of the cross is the most level ground. When we come to the foot of the cross, we realize that Jesus invites everyone to the cross. This is why as a church, our mission, love God and love all people in our pathway, is so significant. We believe in a world that says all of these differences are dividing us and, and that's real, we believe it's at the foot of the cross that regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our economic class, regardless of our background, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we're in now, Jesus invites everyone and reconciles us to him. Church, that should fire us up. That should remind us who our God is and what he can do. Because when that happens, we then go out and share that with the world around us. And that's what he says next. Let me finish here. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So it always begins with Christ and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is our gospel response today? What is the response to the good news? What is God speaking to your heart about reconcilable differences? I wanna ask you just three questions and then we're gonna have a chance to respond. The first is, is your view of divorce in words biblical 
or worldly. And, and if it's a little bit more worldly, spend time getting a biblical view of it. Come to women's group, come to men's group, come to a life group, dig into this stuff with other believers and begin to allow a biblical view of either of those issues to play out. Men, I'm gonna just call you out. I guess I'll call the women out too. Like when we speak about truth and love, I believe some of us, it's a season to man up and woman up. Is that a term? That, that it's time for us to say, okay, we're gonna face the truth together. We're gonna speak the truth where we need to because we wanna grow. We wanna be healthy. We wanna be whole and holy like Jesus calls us to. So the second question within all of that is, have you been reconciled to Jesus? Because we, we can stay in this horizontal space trying to make it all work, but honestly, it's only by turning to Jesus that we really will find what we're looking for. So if you have not reconciled with Jesus, maybe you've been in church, but you've never received Jesus. Did you know that? You can, you can come to church like you go to a movie theater. Take it in, it's what I do, then I go on with my life. And in the middle of that, our hope and prayer is, like, we're glad you're here, but our hope and prayer is that you hear the Lord knocking and that you say, God, I need you. Scripture says, if you confess with your heart and believe with your mouth, you will be saved. Pray today, right where you're at or with one of us up front, reconcile with Jesus. Some of you, that's gonna be your first step today. But here's what I wanna say. It's not just the first time receiving Jesus, people that need to be reconciled to Jesus. You see, some of us have got distant and dry in our relationship with the Lord because there's some area of our life that's unreconciled. We don't trust him. We don't think he's faithful. We don't think he's good. We're offended. We're, we're resentful or bitter. So maybe you need to reconcile with Jesus today and get it all to the foot of the cross because that's where God takes care of the, all of our differences. And third, what reconcilable differences do you need to bring to God today? We all have problems. You got some problems? Our band does, I do. I'm not so sure they do. I don't know. Y'all got some problems? And, and here's what I want you to hear today. This is the hope of the gospel. We serve a God who can reconcile differences in all of those problems. But we've gotta be willing to take that first step forward. Jesus is stepping towards you. Will you step towards him today? Will you say, God, I'm gonna bring it all to you. I'm gonna pray us into a time of response from the kneeling bench and altar to here. This is all open for praise, for worship, for prayer, for whatever you need right now. And the song we're gonna sing is a newer one called God Problems. Because we bring all of our problems to him and at the foot of the cross, he can reconcile them, amen? Will you stand if you're able and I wanna just pray us in, pray over us? May we not believe the lie of irreconcilable differences. May we believe the truth of a God who can reconcile the differences, who makes wrongs right, who brings wholeness and restoration and reconciliation to our world, amen? Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity right now to respond to the gospel, 
to pray, to praise, to worship, to lay things down. Father, I believe if we're human, there's hope, there's purpose, and we're also probably carrying a problem that only you can answer. So I ask that we could right now lay things down at the foot of the cross. May you take our problems and reconcile them. May there be miracles, may there be hope and healing, touch, transform, do what only you can do. Have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen.